as a truck driver. I spend probably about 80% of my life on the road. I see my family very, very rarely. There's times throughout the days uh, when I work for free, I'll be sitting in a dock somewhere or on the side of the road, not getting paid because the wheels aren't moving. And this is Bree Tandova. Add an increased demand for goods ordered, and we find truck drivers parked illegally, unsafe, fighting for parking spots. When our drive clock stops and there is nowhere to park, we put everyone else in danger as well. My name is Jamie. I'm a truck driver from Kentucky. I've been driving for 20-plus years. The safety that's not there for us truck drivers, a lot of the rules telling us to stay out of the left lane when you have people getting on and off the interstate on the right lane, not doing the speed limit. Truckers have been making headlines recently, starting with Canada's so-called Freedom Convoy. The D.C. spinoff, protesting vaccine mandates, was originally scheduled for the day of President Biden's State of the Union address. But politics aside, trucking is having a crisis, and it affects all of us. According to the census, nearly 72% of all freight in the U.S. was carried by trucks last year. They deliver everything from lumber to oranges to our medical supplies. But the industry is facing a shortage of more than 80,000 drivers. That's according to the American Trucking Association. After the break, we'll take a closer look at the industry, its future, and what that means for you. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. A reminder to have your questions answered on future topics, or just to let us know what you think, tweet us at 1A. Support for NPR and the following message come from BetterHelp, offering online counseling. BetterHelp therapist Hesu Joe knows that lockdown has been hard on us as humans. We as people are hardwired to connect with others, which is why this whole time is so difficult. The connection that happens between people can be very powerful and how healing it can be to have a healthy relationship with someone. To get matched with a counselor within 48 hours and save 10%, go to BetterHelp.com slash 1A. Support for NPR and the following message come from BetterHelp, offering online counseling. BetterHelp therapist Hesu Joe knows that lockdown has been hard on us as humans. We as people are hardwired to connect with others, which is why this whole time is so difficult. The connection that happens between people can be very powerful and how healing it can be to have a healthy relationship with someone. To get matched with a counselor within 48 hours and save 10%, go to BetterHelp.com slash 1A. Over this last year and a half, the world's been through a lot. So on this season of the StoryCorps podcast, we'll hear stories reminding us that even when times are hard, we can still begin again. Listen to our new season wherever you get your podcasts. Let's jump into our conversation on the trucking industry. Joining us is Peter S. Goodman. He's the global economics correspondent for The New York Times and author of the new book, Davos Man, How the Billionaires Devoured the World. Peter, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Also with me, Anne Belay. She's the author of Semi-Queer, Inside the World of Gay, Trans, and Black Truck Drivers. She's also an organizer with SEIU, that's the Service Employees International Union. And we appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. And finally, Steve Vicelli. He's a faculty fellow at the Kleinman Center for Energy Policy and a lecturer in the Department of Sociology at the University of Pennsylvania. He's also the author of The Big Rig, Trucking and the Decline of the American Dream. Steve, welcome. Thanks, Jen. So, Steve, from our Amazon packages to our toilet paper, how important is trucking for the movement of goods across the globe? 
Well, as truckers like to say, if you bought it, a truck brought it. Um, you know, at some point, just about everything that you and I consume is going to come on a truck. And the, the problem is often framed as a shortage. We don't have enough drivers to move all our stuff. But when you look at driver's licenses, there are actually triple the number of commercial license holders than there are regular drivers. So is there actually a truck driver shortage or are there other factors at play like driver retention? Yes, driver retention is a huge problem. It's an industry dominated by churn. So people come in and get trained full of hope that they're going to be truckers, make money, have a lifestyle that is enjoyable and meaningful. And they're not trained adequately. The mega carriers abuse them and they wind up dumped out of the industry still in debt. It's a huge and growing problem. Uh, Peter, you've spent the last few years studying the supply chain crisis. How has the lack of truck drivers contributed to that problem? Well, at the center of pretty much every part of the great supply chain disruption, from the huge numbers of containers that are sitting at ports, uh, stuck uh, full of goods that are in short supply, uh, to warehouses that are crammed to capacity, I mean, delays throughout the system. At the center of it, uh, is this supposed shortage of truck drivers, though? I mean, to underscore the point that that has been made already, it's really not a shortage of truck drivers so much as uh, a shortage of people who are willing to take the horrendous bargain that has been foisted on truck drivers, whose whose jobs have just been uh, progressively devalued going back to deregulation in the late 70s. The average pay for a truck driver in the U.S. is around $47,000 a year. That's according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And that's an issue for a lot of drivers. The pay isn't great, and the hours are very long, and the work is arduous. I'm currently in the trucking industry, but only because I was too poor to go to college. Yeah, my name is Scott. I'm from South Carolina. I've been in the trucking industry for about 40 years. I got out of it due to the lack of respect for drivers, uh, nothing but problems, low rates of pay. Uh, nobody understands what it's like to be on the road away from your families. Yeah, my name is Josh. Over-the-road truck driving, people don't want to stay gone away from home for weeks or even months on end for low pay. Thanks for those messages. You know, Steve, trucking used to be a relatively higher-paying job. The International Teamsters Union was a strong force for labor in the 1960s, and nine out of every 10 drivers had 40-hour work weeks. Truck drivers were paid on average 21% more and up to 50% more in the 1970s compared to today. That's according uh, to analysis from Business Insider. What role did the Teamsters play in protecting truckers' pay and working conditions? Well, Jen, it's hard to hear those voices because, um, you know, before deregulation, the the Teamsters had a nationwide contract that essentially set the pay and working conditions for truckers across the United States. And and like you said, the the typical trucker in the late 1970s made well over $100,000 in today's dollars, and most of them were home every night with their family. We got this tweet from Bland Rooker who says it's not just over-the-road drivers, it's also short-haul, local, and delivery drivers. I drive for a medical transportation company, Medicaid patients, and we can't keep drivers either. People can't understand how grueling it is to drive 12 hours a day. Steve, how does that fit into the conversation we're having today, these these shorter-haul drivers? We are seeing more short-haul jobs. We're going to see more as e-commerce increases. Um, these can still be really tough jobs on the body. 
Um, you know, those long hours driving can be can be lonely, and and of course there is always the threat of of an accident. So you got to you know stay stay awake, stay alert, um, and so it can be a pretty stressful job, even if you are um, getting home at night. Uh, Peter, you mentioned deregulation, which continued in the trucking industry under the Reagan administration throughout the '80s, and truckers continued to see their wages depressed, and they began leaving the industry. But this follows a shift in blue collar work in America. So if we look at 19. 70, blue-collar jobs represented 31% of non-farm employment. In 2016, they represent just 13% of jobs. Uh, That's according to the Center for Economic Policy and Research. Connect the dots for us between deregulation and the drop in wages. Sure. Well, first of all, deregulation in the trucking industry actually started during the Carter administration, though a lot of the deregulation we should be concerned uh, by uh, did happen under Reagan and has continued under successive presidential administrations on both sides of the aisle. But I mean, essentially, the United States has been governed by this idea that uh, we should organize our economy around the consumer. Uh, and as long as consumer prices are going down in the immediate term, then Giant corporate mergers are good. Weakening uh, labor is good. Labor is just in the way of cheaper prices and greater choice for the consumer. And the truck driver is just one very poignant example of many. Uh, The truck driver uh, devolves from a solid uh, middle class profession. I mean, it's it's always been a tough job, truckers will tell you, but it's a decent way to support your family to middle class standard to a cost that has to be squeezed out of the equation. And the result is the spread of big box retail across America and massive supply chains. I mean, now e-commerce, the Amazon e-commerce empire. And if you're simply thinking about, you know, how can you get yourself a $5 pack of tube socks at Walmart, this has worked out remarkably. But of course, none of us are just consumers. We're workers. We're members of local communities. And the result of this is just a steady downgrading of living standards for huge numbers of people, the destruction of the middle class, and all of this sending more and more wealth to the narrow uh, interest group, the shareholder uh, and corporate executives who've who've really uh, walked away with most of the bounty. We got this email from Dave who says, I listen to you and your show in my truck six days a week. Thanks for tuning in, David. I've been driving for five years. I work for Amazon. Amazon is representative of how trucking companies try to pay the bare minimum per mile while constantly needing more and more time spent on the road. And give us some insight into the financial model for trucking. How are truckers paid? Most truckers are paid by the mile. So whether you work for a mega carrier or whether you own your own truck, you agree to drive by them and you're paid by the mile. And that is partly because trucking is managed by the Department of Transportation rather than the Department of Labor. So all of the regulations that brought the eight-hour workday don't apply to trucking. You know, you've listened to people say that truckers drive 11 to 14 hours a day, and that's consistent and goes on for days and days and days. So like farm workers, truckers still use a per piece way of getting paid. And that allows a huge amount of abuse of the labor that truckers do. So if there's a storm and you're not driving, you're not paid. If there's a road accident and you're held up in traffic, you're not going to make money. So one of the things this means is that you're likely to take a lot of risk so that you can make at least you know, a living wage. And that, you know, 
changes the circumstances of the job and the circumstances for all of us who use the highways. But yeah, it's piecework. So it's like sort of Victorian women sewing lace collars. We thought that that ended, but for truckers and farm workers, it's still the way that wages are structured. Jason emailed us saying, I am a new truck driver, started about 10 months ago, and I hear the same reason for the driver shortage everywhere, pay. Many carriers, especially mega carriers, criminally underpay drivers. And health on the job is another one of the key issues we heard from a number of truckers. My name is Matt from Bakersfield, California. 30 to 40 percent of the time, the driver has to unload that trailer. You're going to take four to six hours. And I've had two back surgeries and four foot surgeries. Uh, it's not all it's cut out to be. My name's John. I'm from Middle Tennessee. Used to be a truck driver. I would suggest people be anything but a truck driver. You sit down for 11 to 12 hours a day, you're going to die of a heart attack because you don't do nothing. Hello, my name's John. I used to be a truck driver. I had a heart attack in 2017. And I'm still living, but they will not let me drive anymore. Thanks for those messages. Now, Ann and Steve, you've both worked as over-the-road commercial truck drivers. That means long-haul drivers. So you know firsthand some of the health problems that can come with working this job. I want to hear from both of you on this. Steve, why did your firsthand experience make you want to study trucking and start interviewing truckers? Well, I, I, you know, was interested in what drivers thought about that decline in pay and, and working conditions. And, and so I, when I set out on my research, I knew I had to actually experience what that, that lifestyle was, was like. And so I spent about six months um, training to, to be a driver and then working as an over-the-road driver. And, you know, the, the time on the road was just eye-opening. I, I couldn't believe the amount of time that drivers sit unpaid. Um, the conditions that they have to to live in in the truck, and then and then the time away from from family. I didn't have kids at the time. Um, now I do, and I, I just can't imagine um, the the weeks and sometimes months that drivers spend out on the road away from away from family. And what about for you? The thing is that the job is really fun. Like the actual process of driving being up there, seeing the country, looking at the windscreen, you know, feeling powerful and important. The job, the act of doing it is powerful. And I mean, it's really easy to focus on the the problems, but it's also important to emphasize that people who do it love it. Um, and I, I interviewed 66 of them, and they would be super angry at me if I didn't emphasize that. They're not in this be- because only because of the money. They just really love the experience of feeling useful and important and the adrenaline of the job and the kind of physical pleasure of switching gears and being in control. They're all really important. At the same time, I was part of the churn. I only drove for a total of five months before I was dismissed um, for not doing my paperwork correctly, and I couldn't get another trucking job. I didn't get into it for research. I got into it for employment, and I couldn't sustain it. And that's really, really common. And like millions of other truckers, I wound up in debt to the company that trained me. I didn't have time to pay off my training obligation before I was fired. So 
That's really common. I mean, a lot of people are seduced by recruiters who over-exaggerate how much money they'll make and then don't adequately train so that you wind up in more debt than you were in when you started. So what happened? Um, so, you know, it's two sides of it. It's it's super empowering, but also really hard to get a and, foothold. And what happened to that debt you were left with, Anne? Oh, I paid it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I wasn't in a lot of debt by the end, but you know, I was in some, and they, I mean, it took me a few years, but they were going to garnish my wages in my next job, so I, I paid them. Well, Peter, the cost for truck drivers to get licensed is now anywhere between um, 3000 to $10,000, and those loans can be covered if drivers can complete one year on the job. But to Ann's point, how significant of a problem is debt for drivers who are starting out? Well, I'm stealing a line from Steve's really excellent book, but you know he will tell you that uh, debt peonage is at the center of the business model for for many of the companies, the center of the trucking industry, and that that certainly jibes with the bit of reporting that that I did. I just spent three days driving uh, alongside uh, a trucker who was uh, carrying a load from Kansas City down to Fort Worth, Texas, and back. There were you know multiple deliveries along the way, and it's it's pretty clear that. Uh, Steve's book uh, gets it, and and what you know, Anne is is relating, you know, gets it just right. That uh, what we've had is this uh, careful process of recruitment. The industry just requires new people willing to buy into, you know, the the mystique of life on the road and all the money you're going to make and the freedom. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, predatory lending involved in terms of leasing the vehicles. It's not at all transparent how drivers are paid, and there's a lot of disappointment. I hate adulting, tweeted. I hold a class A, and besides the pay, the worst part is you have to be perfect. You're always at fault, and one wrong move could cost you your livelihood. The job is very stressful, especially with having to certify mechanical issues when you're not a mechanic. Remember to join future conversations, download our 1A Vox Pop app, and leave us a voicemail. Support for NPR and the following message come from BetterHelp, offering online counseling. BetterHelp therapist Hesu Joe knows that lockdown has been hard on us as humans. We as people are hardwired to connect with others, which is why this whole time is so difficult. The connection that happens between people can be very powerful and how healing it can be to have a healthy relationship with someone. To get matched with a counselor within 48 hours and save 10%, go to BetterHelp.com slash 1A. Over this last year and a half, the world's been through a lot. So on this season of the StoryCorps podcast, we'll hear stories reminding us that even when times are hard, we can still begin again. Listen to our new season wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's get back to our conversation about trucking. Here's Kiara Finley. She's a truck driver with the company Locomotive in Pittsburgh. Trucking is pretty diverse. It's a good place for uh, people to kind of figure out who they are. A lot of companies you know, don't care about race nationality, as long as you have valid CDL and, you know, it's a clean license. Kiera, thanks for that message. Steve, more than 42% of truck drivers now identify as people of color and close to 8% are women. How have the demographics of truck driving changed over the past two decades? They're changing dramatically. So, um, you know, people of color are are increasingly um, being recruited, partly because we're, we're seeing more 
uh, urban jobs, more, um, more jobs around densely populated areas. Historically, we've sourced truck drivers from rural areas where <clears throat> driving long distances to get to work hasn't, hasn't affected um, your ability to do the job quite as much. Now that more freight is moving locally and over short distances, we're seeing um, a new population of workers. As the demographics of the country change, the workforce will change as well. Um, and in particular, um, immigrants are, are one of the uh, main parts of the population that trucking companies recruit from today. Well, a survey out of Western Kentucky University recently investigated women's experiences on the job. Out of 236 female truck drivers, 92% said they'd experienced some form of sexual harassment. Desiree Wood is the president of Real Women in Trucking. That's a nonprofit organization supporting women truckers. And she spoke with 1A producer Chris Remington. The trainer um, was unprofessional. And then they had a requirement for me to do team driving with another person I'd never met before for six months. It turned out to be a total hellish situation. And I urge people to know about the sex assault going on in truck driver training with women falling through the cracks because we hear all this hype about, you know, oh, the trucking industry wants more women. They're so welcome. Well, there's a reason that the percentage of them has not grown. And how much of an issue is safety and sexual harassment among the women drivers you interviewed? Oh, it's a huge issue. Um, Almost all of the women that I interviewed, and that's both cis and trans women, are raped or attempted raped on the job. It's, you know, that's what Desiree is referring to. It used to be called the sleeper test. It's just considered an expectation out there. Um, Access to men's wages and men's jobs involves challenging patriarchy, and one of the ways that patriarchy responds is through a systemic culture of rape. It's very common. Um, And the other thing that I would add to Steve's comment is one of the reasons women and people of color and trans people and queers and immigrants is increasing in the industry has to do with where we started. The pay's gone down, the micromanagement's gone up, And so people with career options have fled, and people who don't have other choices, such as trans women who have a really hard time getting hired, are then look more appealing in the industry. So they're they're totally related um, concerns. Peter, is there any accountability for training schools to help ensure that these are safe working environments? Well, I mean, by and large, this is a very decentralized industry. There are a couple of there, there are a bunch of huge players, but uh, most of the long haul fleets are controlled by small companies that are dealing with uh, lots of uh, you know a patchwork of of state uh, and local rules. So it's it's a particularly tricky industry to keep tabs on. A lot of operators are sort of fly by night. Uh, the bigger ones uh, tend to have processes that are that are more easily uh, audited. Well, about 10% of truck drivers, or 350,000, are owner-operated. So let's come back to truck driver Desiree Wood. While she prefers being an independent contractor to working under a company, she says she's faced her share of challenges. I had a load of Campbell's soup, and I was going to deliver it to public supermarket in Miami. And there's no place to park down there, and they don't let you park on site. So I parked in West Palm Beach, closer to where I live, went home, slept in my bed and got back to my truck and my trailer was gone. 
cargo theft is huge in South Florida. And they got me. They came and dragged my tractor out of the way, stole my trailer loaded with Campbell's soup, and ripped the differential out of my tractor as they were dragging it. Steve, what are some of the the pros and cons of going on your own versus working under a company? Well, right now, in particular, with rates being so high for for truckers, it it is a good time um, to go independent. But it really... It, it takes a lot of experience and and a bankroll that can support you through um, major breakdowns. What, what we tend to see is that a lot of drivers who are unhappy working as long haul employees get talked into leasing and um, leasing a truck from the company that they work for. So sometimes it's called a, a, a lease purchase, where you're you're buying the truck uh, or at least paying for the truck that you're operating. And for most drivers, that does not work out very well. You end up um, having all the expenses of the fuel, the insurance, um, registrations, as well as the cost of the truck deducted from whatever you earn before you start to get paid. And what ends up happening for most drivers is that it means just more time out on the road because those days that you spend at home, you know, you're, you're still paying a lot of those overhead costs and you're not generating any revenue. And so most of the time, these independent contractors um, are are pretty mistreated by the by the large carriers. There are opportunities, just like um, for employees, to get into some better situations. And I I don't, you know, I, I think we haven't covered some of the really good jobs. There are some excellent jobs out there. Some are, some are union, many are not. Um, working in less than truckload companies, some private companies, um, and some places that most people wouldn't expect, like, like Walmart, where, you know, their new drivers are out four or five nights. Um, but they start out at, you know, about $80,000 a year. Um, drivers who are, you know, working what's called line haul, driving from terminal to terminal for a company like UPS, they can still make over $100,000 a year with benefits. And so some of those good jobs are still out there. Many new drivers just have trouble reaching them. And unfortunately, being convinced to buy that truck is often a misstep on their way toward trying to reach those better jobs. Well, Peter, when we look at this from a policy perspective, are you seeing any shift, especially around this question of the environmental impacts of trucking? Well, I mean, certainly there's a lot of conversation about the environmental impacts of trucking. But, you know, every time uh, some administration in the states talks about increasing gas taxes uh, as a means of encouraging uh, cleaner uh, burning uh, forms of transportation, uh, we discover that that's the third rail of, of American politics. And, and so that, that is a major impediment. I mean, to Steve's point, uh, what we've got is an economy that reflects the incentives that are at work in the economy. And, and the trucking industry uh, has managed to get subsidies, not just in the form uh, of uh, subsidies to, to train recruits, but, you know, cheap gas. And, and as a result, uh, we often now, you know, in the midst of the supply chain disruption, I, I've heard time and again that rail yards at major ports like in L.A. Long Beach are themselves swamped. They can't handle the capacity. And so uh, I've heard lots of instances where long haul trucks are now picking up cargo that would have been uh, handled by train uh, before this crisis. It, it's going to take a restructuring of, of the system and particularly through the tax code to have meaningful change. The electronic log driving mandate went into effect back in 2018, and and this fundamentally changed how drivers do their jobs. Here's Sean in Georgia. I believe that if we get rid of electronic logging and go back to paper logging in a 24-hour day, 
with 10 hours to drive, we wouldn't need as many truck drivers on the road today. With electronic logging, you have 14 hours to get all your driving in. You got 11 hours to drive, but you only got 14 hours to do it. Steve, why were the electronic logs implemented in the first place? Well, Jen, the, the problem is that we have this long history of, you know, the decline in the wages and working conditions of truckers, which has meant that, you know, so we economically deregulated the industry and then we started re-regulating it to solve or try to solve all the problems that we caused as drivers, you know, had to push themselves and their time was wasted. And so the electronic logging mandate is really a consequence of the fact that we have so many inexperienced new drivers out there. Um, who don't know how to drive safely because they're new. You have to learn to, when you're a truck driver, you have to learn to manage the fatigue of that driving over weeks. And they work very long hours. Um, and so what the electronic logging mandate does is it, it hampers you know, the professional driver who knows how to drive safely. And that's ultimately what we want. We want to incentivize the retention of safe, experienced drivers. Drivers that we don't, we don't have to babysit with a bunch of specific you know, one-size-fits-all rules who have the ability to say, you know, I'm tired, I'm going to take a nap, or I'm feeling good, I'm going to drive another hour, or I'm going to you know, not go through rush hour and I'll wait and I'll drive later when, when traffic is lighter. Um, the new rules essentially are one-size-fits-all. And what we should have is a set of rules that says, hey, if you've only been driving for six months or a year or two years, here are the rules for you. You know, when you demonstrate that you're a safe driver and you've got 100,000 safe miles, then you get a new set of rules that says you make the decisions about when to drive and when not to. You're a professional and, and know, how to, know how to be safe. At the same time, there's an estimated 130,000 large truck and bus crashes every year. That's more than double the total from 2009. So, Peter, I'm curious to hear from you about where that health and safety question comes in, in, into people deciding whether they really can drive you know, 11 hours at a time or more. You know, that was the thing that struck me most in my three days driving from Kansas City to Fort Worth and back. I mean, driver I was with, this was a seasoned pro. Uh, he was very conservative. He took the speed limit seriously. He'd been doing this for 20 plus years. And, you know, it was clear that there's this constant balance between I'd like more caffeine uh, so I don't uh, succumb to highway hypnosis uh, the, the tug of exhaustion is always there, but the more caffeine I drink, I know it's not good for my health. It's not good for my prostate. And I'm going to have to stop to go to the bathroom. I mean, these are the thoughts that fill the heads of the people who we're depending on, uh, mostly uh, people we don't think of very often, but now we're in the midst of this supply chain uh, crisis. We, we are thinking of the humanity that is responsible for getting all this stuff to our doors, and they're thinking about the balance between their own safety, uh, their paychecks, uh, where are they going to park their rigs? I mean, that dictates most. I mean, as Ann was noting uh, earlier, I mean, truck drivers are spending much of their time just calculating uh, how am I going to find a place to park my rig that's going to be safe? Uh, and secondary to that is will there be a decent meal? Will there be a clean shower? These are the, the real uh, thoughts that are in the minds of our truck drivers. 
That's Peter S. Goodman. He's the global economics correspondent for The New York Times. Also with us, Steve Vicelli. He's an economic sociologist who teaches in the Department of Sociology at the University of Pennsylvania. And Anne Belay, she's author of Semi-Queer, Stories of Gay, Trans, and Black Truckers. Anne is also an organizer with SEIU. Today's producers were Sophia Alvarez-Boyd and Chris Remington. Our podcast is produced by Barb Anguiano. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White.